Matthew is our firstborn. So it's one of those things we don't know. We, we didn't know what we didn't know. Um, he's our first kid that we actually got to hold. We had a hard time having our first kid. We, we had, you know, the losses, uh, you know, with miscarriages and things like that. So when Matthew came to us, he was the first one that we got to hold. He had 10 fingers, 10 toes. He, you know, he cried when he came out. He did everything that he was supposed to. Um, and it was just like, holy cow. After all this, we finally have our family. We've got our mm-hmm. kid. We've got, and it was everything that I could have asked for and everything that I could have wanted. That's Mike. That's this week's dad. Hi, I'm Josh. This is my song. Stay tuned. This is Life with Jimmy and Moore, the podcast. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in today. Every two weeks, I talk to dads with children who need a little bit more help, whether it be special needs, disabilities, rare disease, or extra needs. Some dads can feel very alone in this journey, like I did for 11 years. Putting this podcast together and getting it out there to those, I hope, who need it has only been possible with the support of Chunko, my amazing and supportive rock star wife, Joshua, who made the beautiful music for the show on his iPad. And of course, Jamie. If it wasn't for Jamie, this would not even be here. And you would probably probably listening to something else, another podcast. So... Thank you, Jamie, for doing this. Thank you for allowing me to help myself, which allows me to help others. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks for making the time tonight, and uh, I really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you uh, reaching out, asking if it's something that I like to do, and uh, I I love talking about my kids. So this should be fun. Yeah. Well, we we did have a we had a conversation uh, a couple of weeks back on the phone. Yeah, that was that was my COVID convo. <laughs> That's the one. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he definitely sounded different to what you do now. Well, you know, still I'm still nasally, but <laughs> but you recovered, and that's that's always that's really important. So it's uh, that must have been tough though, that, having COVID in the house, um, um, and you know, with having having a child that has uh, additional needs and special needs, um, it makes it more challenging, um, doesn't it? It it makes it challenging just because like everything gets put on my wife. At that point, I was stuck 
in our room in quarantine for five days and it's like you know there's things like you know it's, i want to go and help the kids up to bed or things like and just can't because you can't take the chance of them getting sick and in the same token too i mean the, the whole process i felt like i was you know a teenager who was grounded and like my parents knew it wasn't my fault uh <laughs> that i hadn't done anything wrong but i still wasn't allowed to watch tv and that's that's where it was and yeah it it was hard because you could hear you know little meltdowns that happen from all the kids outside the room and stuff like that and it's like you can just go to the room and or to the you know door and just be like hey it's gonna be okay or i mean here in the you know we're in the the chicagoland area that week i mean it was all in the 90s the kids are outside i'm watching them out the window they're playing water balloons and running yeah. through sprinklers and stuff like that and i'm just sitting in there like oh here we are watching yeah and you can yell through the window all you want but it's closed <laughs> none of them can hear you so <laughs> oh man yeah it's never it's not fun is it it's just not fun but you managed to contain it to you so that's a i, I think you did didn't you it didn't uh, yeah yeah it was contained yeah. to me um and at this time last year the four of them all got it and they kept it from me so it turns out that i'm the odd one out in my family all the time so <laughs> all right um mike uh i'd like to kick off here with a with our first one which is when when and how did you become a special needs dad so the the process was actually a lot easier for us than it is for most um at matthew's 12 month screening at his doctor's appointment uh they had us fill out you know a questionnaire asking how he plays things that he does and stuff like that and there were a couple red flags that uh his doctor saw and she said there's some stuff that you know I, i'm seeing here based off of your answers that i just want to make sure that you know we come back to this in six months when we do another evaluation so we did we had that and she came and uh you know i i absolutely love my son's doctor she sat down with us and said you know it's not an easy thing for me to sit and tell parents this but i really think that you should reach out to early intervention early intervention is a uh, a developmental group that we have here that kind of directs us to if there's a developmental delay or need right there they can help us get back up to that point where he should be or they can help us get a fast track into getting tested for certain things um so the the goal was to see where he's at before he turns three because if he gets a diagnosis by the time he's three, he's guaranteed automatically into a special needs program through the state at a preschool. Um, and it just kind of sets the whole stage for getting IEPs and everything like that. So we had um, early intervention for a year uh, went through, we had therapists, they came to our house every single week, uh, a couple of times a week, they met with us once a month to sit down and go over what they're seeing, their need, you know, things for us to continue to work on at home with them and stuff like that. And by the time he was two and a half, 
they were like, we really think that he has autism. Um, and it's super early to tell, but we also think that he may have something called apraxia. And we're like, okay. We didn't know what any of that meant. It was, you know, still all gibberish to us. But they, you know, they set up uh, so that we could go and sit down and get a play-based assessment and everything. And it, that part all happened super quick. It took two months for us to get a play-based assessment and a diagnosis and a guaranteed enrollment into school. Mm. So we got that by the time uh, he was, it was five months before he turned three. And on his third birthday, he was sent off on a bus to go to school. And at school, they set up that day, they set up an IEP and they set up a program that was geared for him in uh, the school district that we were at. And that set up routine that he loves and everything like that. And that's, that's really where the beginning of the journey was. And I know that that's a lot of information that was kind of given in a very broad setting there, but. Um, <laughs> no, that's fine. That, that's good, actually, because I think that kind of that gives us a really overview of kind of the beginning and kind of how up to up to kind of like three years old. Yeah. What when they when the doctor um, had sat down with you and said, listen, like when he was, I think you said, um, going back, what he was, uh, 18, 18 months or the first time was when he was one. Okay. And then the next one was six months later. So when he was 18 months. Okay. And when did they say to you, like, we think he might have autism. And was that, that was, uh, they said, we think he might have autism. That started about when he was two with early intervention. Um, the doctor had noticed that there were developmental delays that were on par with autism, but she never said that, you know, she thought for sure he was autistic because when he, when he was 18 months, he actually was talking a little bit. He had, Mm. he had words. He, but he had, at that point, they say that he should have at least a dozen words. He had three. Mm. So he was below where he needed to be there. Um, the way that he played with cars, he lined them up. That's a red flag in their system as opposed to pretending like they drive or crashing into each other. So he lined them up. She said that's not always a tall tale sign, but that's one of our red flag things that we, you know, set up. And just How simple did you things do like that. When she said this, Mike, what is going what went through your head if you can if you can remember and if you can kind of share with us, were you like yeah, what what was going on? Um, I uh, I present as somebody who's smart, but really I rely on a lot of people who are around me to make me uh, understand. So the things that were there was my first question was, what is it that you're trying to say? And if this was your kid, what would you be doing? Um, that that was. That was the things that I, because I didn't understand. Mm. But what I do understand is, is how other people react to information. So I, my, that was my first, if this was your kid, what would you do? And she said, I would make the phone call. So that's why we made the, at that point in time, we said, okay. So we made the phone call with early intervention. And 
it was when we met with the director and a couple of the therapists, that was the point where they kind of hashed out things. And that's when my mind just went, like, I don't understand any of this. And that's where a lot of the back and forth questions happened at that point was with that group. How, that, when you, you describe where you kind of went, boom, like you just, you know, you didn't get it. Um, and it was, it was I didn't a, get it because again, Matthew was our, Matthew was our first kid. Yeah. Um, we had, a, we had miscarriages prior to that. And Matthew was the first kid that we got to hold. And to me, he breathed. Yeah. That's he right. moved, mm. he functioned and I could sit him in a crowd of 50 other babies and little kids right there. And there's 50 kids doing 50 different things. And I'm like, how am I supposed to know? Mm. How would anybody know that there's something going on here? Yeah. But did that give you reassurance? Did that give you reassurance, Mike? And that's like what you described there. Did that give you kind of like a bit of you? To me, that would have kind of given me reassurance. Like, yeah, like everyone, it's going to be okay. And that's that's it. It's like, you know, okay, there's something going on here, but it's to me, this isn't something that's life threatening. So I'm willing to do at this point, anything that helps. I myself have something at that point had something that made me a little different than anybody else, but Mm. I didn't consider it life threatening. That's type one diabetes. Mm. My pancreas lives with me in my pocket. It looks like two Sharpies, you know, this is, this is my pancreas. Right. Right. And I've got, you know, that's, that's my fingerprints. I'm almost at a point where I can rob a bank. And nobody would notice because that's that's my fingerprints right there, um, you know. But <laughs> wow. it, it's not something that is life threatening. Yeah, it's just it's something that's a little bit different that I have to navigate. Yeah, and that's how I kind of at that point looked at it with Matthew. Okay, it's something that we got to navigate and see what we can do to help him. So that's that's where that has started, and that's kind of the thing that's in my mind all the time is. You know, what, what is it that we can do that helps him? Because this world is crazy and mm. anything and everything that happens in here is crazy. And mm. his sensitivity meters at 11 on a dial that goes to eight, you know? And so it's just, it's one of those things. How can I help him navigate this world? That's so crazy. And that's, that's kind of where we are at this. And that's, at that's where I'd gotten at the point with meeting with this group was mm. what can we do to help him? Yeah. Is this world this world's crazy to anybody yeah okay i understand that so you it was it it was one of those <clears throat> excuse me it was one of those steps of like okay this is you know it's going to help it's going to help him this is going to be clearly what they they believe is going to be good for him and, and so i'm going to we'll go forward with this um yeah so we so yeah. and that's where the early intervention started and it started with things like he had a developmental therapy uh, once a week. He had a speech therapist come in once a week. Uh, he had a nutritionist come in every two weeks. And then he had um, an occupational therapist come in once a week as well. So we had these three different sessions and sometimes a fourth session where it was just people that were coming in and they were working with us and him to try and get into what they call these developmental milestones. And at first it was just, it was just that, you know, working with them to get him to these points. And then 
later on it became get more gathering information for us to give a doctor for getting a diagnosis. Mm. And the diagnosis day was one of those days that was, it was bittersweet. It was one of those, okay, it's an answer, but it was like, now it's a stamp. That stamp is, you know, it's, it's a mark on a permanent record and autism because it's a spectrum that's as wide as the Grand Canyon. There, you know, there's a box that he's going to try and get put in. And to me, I was like, you're never going to fit in that box. That box is meant for, in their mind, what somebody with autism has. So that was the part that was always hard for me was Hmm. he got, he, he would get compartmentalized into somebody's belief as to what autism is. And he wouldn't get a chance to understand who Matthew is. Hmm. Okay. That's interesting. Okay. That's interesting. Um, so it wasn't the fact it was, it was more about with that label with the official diagnosis of autism, that, that was for you. It came with, okay, that's what people like, it's going to, people are going to make a lot of assumptions out of that mm -hmm. in a way. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah. Yes. So how, how do you get, how did you get through that as a, as a dad? Um, so the first thing was, is we, we had to get, uh, my dad and my wife's mom and dad, uh, and my wife's stepmom to an understanding of what this is. Uh, so we, we had sit downs with, um, to discuss, you know, what, what this is and how it really doesn't change. It, it shouldn't change their relationship with Matthew at all. And just what it, what it looks like. And a lot of that came down to, you already know what it is. Cause you've been living it, you know, every time you come and see him and every week when you come and see him, it just, now there's this piece here. It it's not going to change anything, but now there's an understanding why maybe some of your parenting techniques from when you were younger are not necessarily bulletproof with him. Um, so that was, that was a nice piece. Uh, the other piece then was, you know, kind of navigating what it looks like when we have play dates with friends and stuff like that. And, you know, why sometimes he doesn't play the same or things like that. And, you know, these are things that could possibly happen in the future and stuff like that. And that's, that has been, that was actually one of the more super beneficial things early on with, you know, just coming, coming out and just saying, Hey, this is, this is what it is. This is how, how it is for us. Um, and you know, this is, this is it. Um, because a lot of those friends now, you know, have this understanding here and it's just, it's, it, it's more that community that's around there then. Uh, mm -hmm. it doesn't, you know, when we go out places, we go to the pool, we've got a group of friends that we go with right there that have an understanding. So it's not that, you know, if some, it, you know, he goes crazy or, you know, something like that at the pool. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, well, there's, there's more there to, you know, 
help deflect the judgmental look, you know? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> How do you deal with those, though? How do you deal with those mic, those, mic, those judgmental looks? Because we all bloody get them. We all get mm -hmm. them. And it's taken... It, I'm, I, I still, um, like, you know, have to find a way to navigate through these judgmental looks or these things. Even just the other day, like, in the pool. I was in the pool with Jamie the other day. And um, I was getting them because of something that was going on and... He wanted to go on. The, well, he didn't want to go on the slide. He wanted me to go on the slide, but I can't go on the slide. I can't leave him alone. He doesn't want to go outside. And then, like, I was pointing at the sign and saying, like, listen, we're going to have to go down the slide like this. Or you're going to have to sit in front of me. Uh, he has been on the slide once, and he freaked out when he came out the end. Um, mm. But there's a like a one of the kind of the lifeguards. It's an indoor pool. She's and she comes over and she sees me pointing at this picture of like. Um, two people kind of in front and she's like no, no he's in Japanese she's saying like no he's too big you can't do that I'm like um, <laughs> you know you don't get this like he like, he's a he's um, disabled with special needs like in Japanese it's shogaisha is, is um, that's the word that um, describes Jamie basically mm. um, and she's like instantaneously she's like you know just like it's like I sit off this kind of like like dropped a fart or something she just like whoo she just like was like okay back it off back it off like you know like and she's mm. like okay you can maybe just do whatever you want then you know um but again and there was other situations in the pool as well but how like that those looks man like they they can be um they can hit us as dads right yeah, I mean, there's nobody likes that whole judgmental piece right there. You know, I, I call I call them the Monday morning quarterbacks, the people who don't <laughs> they, they they don't li they don't live that life. But man, they want to tell you how to how to you know how they would navigate that situation. Um, and and you know, there, there's a part to it. That's that. But there's also some stuff that it's just like, you know, sometimes I just, you, you kind of got to get, if you're going to point and laugh and you do something judgmental, I'm going to give you something to point and laugh at that, you know, it's going to be your, your memory right there. Um, and that's kind of <laughs> how I take it at this point. Now, do you, feel, like, do you okay. feel like you want to educate them though? Do you, is there a side of you, maybe I should just use this as an educational opportunity and actually educate them, not sit down and educate them, but actually like show them that like, you know, this is how, how, you know, how some of us do work in this world. I educate those that seem like they're educationable. And yes, I understand <laughs> that educationable is not a word, um, but. I think we but, just made one. Like, yeah, but. If you're going to point and laugh and do all that kind of stuff at this point, you've already made your mind. I can't, I can, I can go and I can preach you to you until your face is blue. You're not going to hear a word I'm saying because you've already, it's, it's, it's already here what you think. But those that come up and they see that something's going on and they ask a question or mm. they come at you with an approachable mindset right there. That's the person that I can take my time and explain. And that's the person who I feel like I can educate. Gotcha. The other guy who's sitting over there, you know, doing this and doing that right there, your mind's already made. So I'm going to give you a show like you have never seen before. <laughs> and this is, this is going to be, this is going to be my fun. 
And I think I think you're educating them. I actually do honestly, Mike. I think when you when we do this, is that you're like, you're just like I'm just going to focus on what I'm doing and just you know, with, with for example, with Jamie or you with, you with Matthew, I'm just going to focus on to me and Jamie, and they can you know whatever they want to do, like however they want to perceive what's going on is fine, like whatever kind of judgment they want to make that's fine. But if they walk away going. Oh, she maybe he maybe like he's got something like yeah you know, or maybe you know um it's this or maybe it's that at least it's creating that kind of that thought rather than no thought you know mm-hmm. um but I love that you just you know it's like you know put on a show I love it yeah. <laughs> fantastic um okay so we kind of like with the the we discussed this on the phone um a little bit actually in a bit of quite a bit of detail actually which was the process of acceptance of where we are um where you are i should say um as dad with matthew's diagnosis and how that's kind of gone from you know when he's been 18 months old to now he's eight years old um and it's he's still going right it's a journey this is why i call it a journey because it's a it is a journey and that journey uh takes many different twists and turns along the way um so can you can you provide us with a bit of insight as to your journey with the acceptance of um of it because yeah can you can you share it with us sure so it's one of those things, Matthew is our firstborn. So it's one of those things we don't know. We, we didn't know what we didn't know. Um, he's our first kid that we actually got to hold. We had a hard time having our first kid. We, we had, you know, the losses, uh, you know, with miscarriages and things like that. So when Matthew came to us, he was the first one that we got to hold. He had 10 fingers, 10 toes. He, you know, he cried when he came out. He did everything that he was supposed to. Um, and it was just like, holy cow. After all this, we finally have our family. We've got our mm-hmm. kid. We've got, and it was everything that I could have asked for and everything that I could have wanted. Um, so, you know, at that point in time, it was just like, you know, he could rob a bank. I could care less because I got a kid, you know, it's all that I've ever wanted was this. And, uh, maybe edit out that he could rob a bank then. It sounds a lot worse than, uh, really, but (laughs) I'm sure, I'm sure everyone understands exactly what you mean. Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, you you get what I'm saying right there. Absolutely. You know, he, he was perfect Mm. and um we we didn't at that point we hadn't this you know found out what the sex was going to be until he was born and stuff like that and we're uh as i talked about you know i i've got a level of faith and um matthew his name has meaning uh the meaning of matthew is gift of god and he's our first kid and he really was everything that we had asked for. We asked for a kid. I didn't ask for, you know, 
the the sun to you know do all the sports stuff that i was clearly not athletic enough to do mm. um or you know to earn his way through college because you know i was barely smart enough to even get there let alone finish and you know i i, I just wanted a kid and i wanted it him to be healthy and he had that so then as you know these other pieces kept on coming in well let's just roll with the punches roll with the punches uh and then as we're going through all of this then uh you know 17 short months later his sister shows up uh and now we've got you know two under two uh who rule the house and we were pretty comfortable with you know that one-on-one -on -one tactic right there and but in the background we still had everything going on with early intervention and things like that and then we get his diagnosis when he's two and a half and at that point it's just it's continuing to roll through these punches um but at the point when he was two and a half both or two and a half going on three, uh, or just a pinch over three, I should say, he broke his elbow because, like I had said, he has apraxia. He doesn't have a great understanding of where his body is in space. Right. And he, okay. put a, he put a camper over his head because he, he found early on if he puts something on his head or pressure on his head, the world stops spinning for him it's a it just it made things comfortable for him right. but he also when it stops spinning he gets happy or would get happy at that point because you know just the things that are going on stop well he lost his balance because depth perception you know i got that there's something right here but i don't have this that's out here yeah. uh, so he lost his balance went down and broke his elbow um and then a week later um his sister got nursemaid's elbow and broke her wrist so i was in the er two times in a matter of a week which was a month and a half after we just got this diagnosis and i was stressed i thought you know um child services is going to come knock on my door and they're going to clearly see that i'm not fit to be you know a parent and they're going to take these two kids who, you know, I'm kind of fond of right now. You know, it's not, you know, they're, they're, you know, not brand new out of the box toys anymore. I'm, I'm enjoying playing with these uh, kids and having them and, you know, I'm playing with you know, everything that, you know, all the joys that being a dad brings, but I'm like, somebody has got to knock on this door and they're going to take these kids away from me. And I'm starting to get tired and I'm starting to get, you know, what I'm thinking is just an overload of stress going on. Yeah. And shortly after that, I, you know, a year and a half after that, I had a heart attack. And um, it wasn't necessarily stress that was brought on from all of that, but it was just a compound in all of this that is now not, I don't want to say done a 180 on it, but it has changed my focus in that. I have to be here now for him. I have to be everything that I can to be his advocate. I have to understand what it is that he likes 
as opposed to forcing him to try and do things that I like. I have to get down. So, I mean, like, he had a bit where he was spinning forever. So one day when he was taking a nap, I went and I went to we live a block away from a playground, a big playground that has a tire swing and stuff like that. And for the time that he napped, I knew he always had it. He always napped for an hour. I went out for an hour and I just try to figure out what it is that spinning does for him mm. and trying to get try everything that I have been doing now is trying to get to his level so that I can understand it the way that he can so that I have a better understanding of who he is. And then if I have a better understanding of who he is, then I've got a better understanding of trying to teach him the way that he understands to get through again, this giant crazy world Yeah. because there's going to be a day I know when I'm not here and Mm. I want to be able to just work as much as I can to get him to a point where I can I can leave comfortably knowing that he's going to be okay. And that's the piece that really drives me. Yeah, okay. That's really it's really interesting, really interesting to hear. Can you I want to talk about can I go back a little bit because you you talked about that period of time when everything was going on um you were in, in the um Two broken, broken, a broken uh, elbow and a broken wrist with your with your daughter, the um, who arrived on the scene a year or year and a half later. Um, and then you and then you kind of jumped forward and you said like a year and a half later, I had a heart attack. Yeah, there was there was eighteen months of them trying to figure out what's wrong with me because mm-hmm. uh, generally a thirty three year old doesn't have heart disease. Uh, and the way I look at it is, is the rest of you are just slow. It's a finish line. And I got there way ahead of everybody else. <laughs> I like, I want to basically like the reason I, I, I like to kind of talk about these things because I, I, I feel that some dads ignore men, especially um, ignore what our bodies are telling us. Um, we, uh, we process, we, we kind of think about a lot of stuff a lot of the time. I do, right? We tend to kind of just like things just go in a cycle. They don't really necessarily solve themselves, but what we, our bodies, um, a lot of actually what's wrong with us is actually under our head, (laughs) like, (laughs) but we seem to operate in our heads, right? Yeah, there, um, there's a there's a there's a giant problem with all of us, and it's about three and a half feet above our butt. <laughs> so, did you listen, Mike? Did you listen to your body enough? Do you think? And do you listen to your body enough now? Um. So at that time, I kind of pushed things down a little bit. the The day that I sat and said there is a massive problem Mm. was when i went to go every night i'd go and i'd take and put the kids to bed and we've got a long staircase that goes to the second floor of our house and i couldn't get to the top of that staircase i had to stop and catch my breath and just Mm. take a couple of seconds and i you know feel my heart beating through my neck Mm-hmm. And I was like, there's something going on. And um, 
I never had what you would consider like, you know, a body that says you're welcome. But like, there was a lot more of the body saying you're, you know, not saying you're welcome. I, I, <laughs> I, no I, I, I started swelling a lot and uh, just putting on a lot of weight at that point and stuff like that. And, you know, I, at, then I started reflecting, you know, I was like, man, I, I'm turning into a dad on a couch. I'm not actually getting there and playing and making the most of my time with everybody. So that's when my wife and I had a talk and I was like, I don't, I, I, something's going on. I don't think, you know, it's right. And she's like, you got to call your doctor. And, you know, if she says jump, I'm always going to say how high. And then I'm going to try and navigate what that bar of height actually is. Um, you know, I, I, you treat it, you treat it like the fish schedule, you know, you know, the, I, when I caught the fish, it was this big, but in reality it was this big. So it's like when she says jump this high, I'm like, is it uh, this high? You know, um, cause that seems like a lot of jumping. Um, but you know, so I did, I, I made the phone calls and it took them a year and a half from that point. It was, I, I made the phone call. I remember it was a week before Thanksgiving in 2017 and I had my heart attack uh New Year's Eve 2019 New Year's Eve yeah so 29 uh sorry uh New Year's Eve 2018 going into the next day was January 1st 2019 so I had my heart attack that night uh so while the rest of you know the U.S. and everybody across the world was you know uh, raining in the new year, I rain it in hard. <clears throat> wow. Well, first of all, um, I'm pleased to be sitting here talking with you because uh, heart attacks can go the other way if they're not, mm -hmm. um, you know, if they're not seen too quickly and, and uh, medical attention is not um, administered quickly enough. So I'm really happy to be sitting here. And, but that's like a minuscule, um, part of it because of course you can you are here you are still dad and i guess that as you kind of alluded to before it kind of that's really changed your like i guess well it has changed kind of how you your mindset and how you uh move forward with with life and how you move forward with matthew and, and your two other children now and i suppose what i want to ask you is do you are you more aware of um, like how your how you your body is like your stresses in your body when you feel tired when you feel um, stressed out anxiety like that kind all those things we have all those things and and if like because that's real we don't mm -hmm. like um, I have it uh, how has that allowed you to be more compassionate to yourself health-wise? So, yeah, I, the, the stress part is definitely something that I understand. So I make it known there, there's two types of stresses. There's a stress of an environment that you can control, mm. and there's the stress of an environment that you can't control. So I, I make it known, like, when I'm at work, there's something that's going on. I, I flat out tell them, I am not healthy enough 
to go through this. I'm not going to deal with this again. Uh, if this is, if this is, you know, something that's important to you, let's either one, find somebody else or two, let me know and I'll go somewhere else. that's not going to have me go and deal with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm very open about that. Very blunt about that. And, uh, I'm blessed that I have a job where they're lenient enough to let me get away with that. Um, because I know that there's environments where that's just not going to happen. Um, but I know that things that will stress me out and just, I'm, unless I, it becomes a uncontrolled section right there, I'm not going to put myself into an area where I'm going to let it, or I let people know it's like, I've got, I've got a timer and when we've hit that area where I, I have to shut it down, I'm going to let you know, I, I got to shut this down. We can come back to it at another time, but we're not going to finish this right now. And what do you do then when you get to that point? Because getting like, I know that feeling because you kind of like, you can feel it. You're like, okay, this is just getting too much. And a lot of it, I used to just hit, I used to just keep going, Mike. I guess you did as well. You used to just keep going because we didn't mm-hmm. listen to it, right? We would just be like, yeah, well, we just kind of bash through that wall because like that's it's work. And it, and we didn't we weren't listening really listening to our bodies. I wasn't um, for forty for forty odd years. I wasn't listening to it. Like I would say, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. but no, I wasn't listening to it at all. I was just like ignoring it. I would, I was ignoring, it and I would just a lot of thoughts would just ruminate through my head and uh, ruminate through my head and all those kind of things. Like it it, it would I wouldn't connect the two things together. My head and my body, I, always, I used to think they were two separate things, but very much, very much connected. Um, yeah. and it, I, I, like I said, my wife is very organized. So I tried to take a book out of her and I, I wrote down, you know, these are, these are my steps. And if I, if X, Y, and Z are there, then I got to drop it. Hmm. And the big piece that I go at right now is, you know, there's there's certain things that happen at work and you don't you don't know that it's going to be a stress thing mm. until it's a thing that happens. And then it's a repeated piece that continues to go on. Mm. Uh, so, for instance, is like that, you know, my my step process is, is if. I get, you know, you go through that work day, you go through the next night, and then you get to the next night after that. And I'm like, if it's something that's still stuck up in here and mm. it's keeping me from being able to get comfortable and roll and close my eyes at night, I have to address this first thing when I get into the office tomorrow and try and put the, put an end to that. Cause that's gonna, it, it's now, it's affected two nights of my home life and that's not acceptable. And that's, that's one of the big pieces right there is you got eight, you got 36 extra hours that you can occupy the small amount of real estate that I got going on in here. And if you're taking up more than 36 hours, you're done. Mm-hmm. And I, that's, that's my hard line right there. You get 36 hours to make my life suck. And if it's more than 36 hours, you're sorry, you're kicked <laughs> out. You're out of the Island. So. Yes. Yeah. Thank, and, hey, thanks for, thank you for sharing that. 
It's yeah, and like, that's that's it, it's a you gotta find what is your level of comfort with that, mm. and you gotta be a hundred percent honest with yourself. I'm not the same person that I was when I was 18. I'm not going to be able to drag the ball the same way that I did when I was 18. Um, I've got all these these pieces right there. So in reality, I treat it like, you know, I'm, I'm a 70 year old with a 38 year old candy shell. And then there's, there's only so much that, you know, can go on that has this. And if you're not in that area or, you know, then I gotta, I gotta cut you out. I, I've, I'm interested to hear your view on and what, what you think about this because I, I, I hit the wall in 2019. I hit the wall. Mm -hmm. I burnt myself out because I just threw myself into work, and work was easier to deal with than dealing with the Jamie. Um, and so I just was just working, 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 and then. I had the stresses with, with Jamie. We had a school stress. We had, I, uh, we went through a, um, uh, his school had refused him and we went through a, um, like we did a petition and we had media come around to the house, all these things. And, and it was, a it was, it, it took over our lives as well as running the school that I run me and my wife, we both run it. Mm. Um, and then in 2019, this is, like six years after, like, oh, not six years, sorry. Um, yeah, like five or six years after Jimmy actually entered school. So all my stresses and, and uh, stresses and worries and not being able to kind of really deal with the world that I was in, except that the world I was in, I hit the wall. Um, and I, since, since that point, um, I, don't I, I feel like I'm not able to be the I don't have the energy that I used to have I don't have the ability to um, do what I used to do as a dad and that sucks because I or I compare myself to how I was and I think man like I I, I want to pull you know a nine-hour day without feeling whacked at the end of nine hours i used to pull 13 hour days and go home i can't do that anymore there's a part of me that feels like i'm not enough is there like it, it do you have do you have anything like that um yeah so like i said i had a heart attack and then i i did what any smart person would do after that i asked my friend google uh what the life expectancy is of somebody after they have a heart attack and google being the uh sensitive machine that it is came back and told me 15 years and i was like holy cow that that gets me to matthew being 18 years old just got a diagnosis of autism. I'm like, they, they don't generally graduate high school at 18 is, you know, what I'm told. He, he very well may could, he very may well not. I don't know. Um, I don't have that magic eight ball that tells me, you know, what's going to happen. Cause man, that would make stress a lot less. Um, or a lot but, more. <laughs> yeah. um, 
have anything like that that tells me what the future looks like. But mm-hmm. it's like I lost my mom before uh, I graduated high school, and it sucked to you know. Like I said, we we come from a uh, a family of not the world's brightest. Uh, so like high school was like you know like uh, you know the the bright lights and shining stars of you know greatness. And then I, you know, through the, uh, the, you know, grace of God, I got, you know, a two year degree in four. So, you know, that I, I got the, I got the degree. It took four mm-hmm. years for yep. what the standard two would do, but I did it. Um, and you know, she wasn't there. She wasn't there to meet my wife and things like that. And I, you know, I'm sitting there. That's the stresses that, I live with. It's like, you know, there's, there's a magic clock that's ticking down. And to me, it's like, I gotta, I gotta get past that 15 years. That's the part that gets, that keeps me up is, Mm. you know, I've got to be there for not only Matthew, but I got to be there for Maggie and I got to be there for Sean. Now, Sean, the happy little accent that happened after all this really is making that timeline kind of weird now um that's that's putting that that, but and that's putting stress on pressure onto you isn't it because you're that's a that that's like a anxiety that's a real anxiety that you've got right it it was and now Mm. it's a motivator um Mm. so now it's a thing where i've completely done everything that i can to try and make myself you know the healthiest version of a very unhealthy 38 year old um i you know i'm sitting low uh but you know if you saw me in person i hide it very well i'm a gym rat now um you know every night i go out with people that are half my age and i do what i can to try and make myself i i know i'm never going to be what i was when i was 18 i know i'm never going to be what i was when i was 20 and i know i'm never going to be what i was when i was 25 but Every day, that goal is to make myself a little bit more than I was yesterday. And that comes in many different pieces. Mm. That comes in uh, the health the health side right there. That comes in the time that I have with my kids and educating myself in who they are today so that I have a better understanding of how I can help them tomorrow and trying to get myself into every little facet of their life in that way. And then the same thing then, you know, with my wife, you know, I, I try to make sure that I got a great understanding of who she is and everything that she brings to the, you know, this and everything that I can there so that I can be the best piece there as well, because I know, you know, the one piece that, you know, is made apparent in this is time and time is not infinite. So, um, the goal is, is each day to make myself a little bit better than I was yesterday and to make sure that I didn't waste an opportunity that I had today. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing that, Mike, because that, I think, you know, there's, there's dads listening out there who will, I'm sure will resonate and understand, understand aspects if not all of kind of what you're saying because it's there's like so much there 
And I appreciate your honesty about it as well, because I think that's really where it is, because it, that creates that creates connection. That as people really when when we're open about you know what's really going on, is that people are like okay, like maybe maybe I need to maybe I need to make some changes in my life. And it can affect people in a positive way. Um, mm. And that's, you know, in a way that's like, it wasn't, it didn't start off as my intention, a little bit of my intention, but doing this podcast is about getting it out there because everyone has really different lives. Everyone has really different journeys. Everyone has really different struggles. Um, and it's to hear those. So I appreciate you you're, uh, sharing that. Thank you so much. No problem. Um, the, I, I guess, like you, you're saying, you kind of you head off to the, you go out and you do your gym rat. That must be like your self care. That really must be like that. Yeah, that I've got two forms of self care. Um, one is each night, and again, like I said, you know, getting the most out of my time with the kids and stuff like that. It's I, I limit myself. I, I sacrifice sleep that I, that I know, but you know, I'm up each morning at five and by the time I'm done with everything, it's usually 12, 1230 at night. So, you know, that four and a half to five hours of sleep, that's, that's my sacrifice right there. But I wait, you know, I'm not going to, my big piece is I'm trying to extend that timeline out here. Mm. I'm not going to take anything that's in this area where I'm currently living away. Mm. So it's at, you know, that gym life is after the kids are in bed and after my wife is in bed and we've had our time to talk and reflect on what, you know, the day was and everything like that. Make sure that we've got that connection there. That's, that's when I go. So that usually happens about nine thirty, ten o'clock at night. Wow. And I'm out until about 1130, 1145. Then I come back, shower, and then get in bed and, Un, you know, do that little bit of unwind of, you know, hey, I lifted something heavy, yay, and then get in bed, you know, and yeah. that's, you know, usually out, and that's all done usually about 1230 or so, and then the next day, we get to, you know, go through Groundhog's Day again, and live that dream <laughs> one more time, and <laughs> go from what we learned from the day before, so. Yeah. Okay. And then the mm -hmm. other getaway piece is I am a massive car buff. Um, oh, right. Okay. Uh, I'm very into old and classic cars. Um, today was actually, uh, you know, you had your list of questions. You know, when was the last time you had a self-care? Self yeah. This afternoon, my wife allowed me to go to, uh, I've got an older Camaro that I've restored. Oh, and wow. Drive, and my wife allowed me to go to an all Camaro show today. <gasps> so it's there with, you know, uh, a very large number of uh, Camaros that are all of the generation of mine. And uh, just hung out with a bunch of other guys that all have a passion for that particular type of car. And that was a good uh, five hours that I got to get yeah. away and just kind of do that. And you don't, in, in that five hours, can we just, I just want to, I always think these moments when we're, when we're not at home, we don't have the kids, we're doing something which is just us. And 
for me that that doesn't like it happens but it boy doesn't happen enough for a lot of us mm-hmm. um and um as much as we would like to have it happen i'd like to talk about how you how you are in your head in those five hours if you can kind of describe to us kind of how you are mentally in those five hours compared to when you are like at home or at work can you like what what's the difference um the line of focus and you know i'll be 100 percent on it there's not a whole lot that goes up in here and really you know has a, a lot going on but the line of focus is I'm a very, uh, in general, I try to be a very hospitable person. Um, when I'm at home, that focus is usually geared towards just four others. Mm. When I am out in a big setting like that, I'm like a dog chasing a car. When I get to the next person, I don't know what to do because it's just like, uh, yeah, you know, get to just, you know, just get to, you know, check up and just see, I, I, I like to see how people are, where they're at and hear about what makes them tick. The thing that I like to hear about what, you know, goes on. So it's like, at that point, it's, I call it therapy because I get to hear about a bunch of other people and stuff like that, that goes on and find out that you're all just as screwed up as me. So this is pretty exciting <laughs> and go from there. Fantastic. What what year is your Camaro, man? Because I, I'm get, I'm get... Uh, so I have uh, my Camaro is actually one of the least desirable generations. It's a third gen Camaro. Mine's an '87. Okay. Um, I bought it. I bought it for uh, five hundred dollars. Wow. Uh, um, Nineteen years ago, when oh, all wow. of my friends were going to real college and I was going to community college uh as something to do because everybody went away to doing you know the fun college uh so i bought it for 1900 bucks it didn't run i pushed it two blocks home it was a couple of blocks away and that was just at that point it was just trying to figure out how to make it work and doing all these things and so you didn't know you didn't know much about cars at all back then uh i knew that there were four tires and that you shouldn't have to put a whole lot of pushing effort into making them go uphill. They should do that on their own. And this one did it. <laughs> That's awesome. So you, okay. I, I could sit here all day and talk about cars because I love cars as well, but let's not do that. Let's not bore out some of our listeners who might not be in that same zone. When you, I guess you go down and you work on your car yourself sometimes. Yes. And so that also must be, it's like therapy because you're so focused onto the car you're so focused on to kind of doing what you're doing in that time. Now it might be like, you might spend 15 minutes. You might spend a, an hour. I don't know if you even ha- like, and you're just trying to, but it, it, it's that focus. And it's the, it's a, it's a love that's totally different from your kids. And it's a, and it's a motivation that's um, unique and very special. Um, and it's an expensive, an expensive one too. Um, Shh. <laughs> But um, those are the things that that's what help us get through. That's what helps you get through, Mike. Those are the, like if you if you took yeah. away that car, how would you be? Um, I mean, like anything, there's a, a part of you is missing at that point. Yeah. So I honestly, if that car was gone, I'd be jonesing to get another one. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> and my my wife my wife has told me, you know, she she hates my car. She's like she's like you know she she was like me. We were born very in familiar. the 80s. we were born in the eighties. Uh, but she's like she's like. She's like, if you want to get something like a, a 40s or a 50s pickup truck for me, that'd be great. She's like, I want to drive around in the country listening to country music. And so I'm like, I was like, all right, I'll build you a car, but I'm not going to put a radio in it because I don't like country music. So, <laughs> you know, so, you know, that that's the, that's where she's at. She does not like my Camaro, though. Yeah. Um, okay. that, that is not a love of hers, but no. she, she can respect certain old cars enough that, you know, she's okay with that part right there. But yeah, if that, if that was gone, uh, a part of me would be crushed. Um, mm. and I kind of had a little bit of that go on last year, uh, in October or in September, my my car i mean it started running really really bad i mm. something was going on with it uh i just got done you know fabricating and putting together an aftermarket setting for or setup for for fuel injection and trying to make it all work it's something that wasn't supposed to go on that and wasn't supposed to be with this so it's like you know trying to get that and it you know things are going on and it, it ended up with me uh pulling the engine out oh, of that wow. car uh last november to find that uh i you know seven out of the eight cylinders the piston rings were all broke on and i was like well this i thought you know i don't have i don't have the money to you know do an engine and everything like that and i thought you know i'm gonna be out a season plus in this um mm. but I got real lucky that uh, the long block that I bought was built with the world's cheapest piston rings uh, and that they didn't do any major damage to the block or anything like that. So I was able to get new rings. Uh, and at that time, too, I you know upgraded a cam in it and was able to get it all put back together that last winter and put back in the car and, you know, a little couple hours each week, you know, at night. Yeah. Doing that in the garage, got to put it all back in the car for me to be able to drive it again this year. So, but in no in November, I was I was lost. I was like, you know, this is this part of this is therapy, you know. Uh, yeah. This is uh, that time when I can get out, go and take the top off the car, and just go for a drive. That that was therapy. Oh, so yeah, so was, it's like a cabriolet. It's like a convertible. Uh, t top. T top. Oh man. Yeah. So just right. we just let's just send a quick message to all the mums out there who think that all their dads are slightly crazy when they go on hot say I'm going for a drive in my car. That's that's actually good for us. <laughs> just yeah, so you that, know, that, all the that, that, that that's that's therapy right <laughs> that's there. That's therapy right there. And uh, and it, it, it's hard to for someone for some mums to um to be compassionate towards that, but I think that you know um my wife is extremely understanding. Uh, I'm I'm very lucky, and and I, you know, um, I'm like I got I need to go, I, and even if it's you know just driving 15 minutes up the road to the movie cinema, like, um, you know, it's, it is, it's like a, it allows me to mentally be alone, and allows me to be, just, 
you know, clear some of the stuff that's going on in my head and, or not think about stuff because that's also the one of the things because we tend to, as I talked about before, like just things just tick over in a head and we just don't tend to really solve any of the problems a lot of the time, especially the big ones. Um, and, and doing these things, going for a drive or, you know, um, fixing a car. Like, I mean, I can't, like, you know, it's amazing that you started off with, you know, not being able to do anything to what you're doing now. I mean, that's just freaking awesome. That's really, really awesome. So good on you. And I, I'm looking, and I'm looking forward to seeing a picture of this car, mate. So um, when we finish this, you can drop me a picture if you could, because I'm keen as must to see this. All right. Like I said, uh, it, it's not it's not the desirable generator. People are liking them more now, but it's you know oh. it's not it's not a '68. <laughs> Doesn't matter. It's an '87. <laughs> And it's your and it's your your blood, sweat, and tears which has gone into it. And I think that makes it all so much more, doesn't it? Right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, but we have a, it, you know, to that therapy piece of you know the drive. It's one of those things that I never really understood that until I understood Matthew and his autism. Mm. A lot of times when stimming starts or he gets frantic, it's the same thing with us. It's because it's a situation that we don't understand and we can't control. Mm. When I go out and I get behind the wheel of that car and drive, there is only one person who's in control, and that's me. I am finally in control, and that's what levels everything out. If we're going straight, it's because I told the car we're going straight. If we're turning, it's because I told the car we're turning. If I want the music louder, it's because I turned up the radio. If I want to hear the exhaust, it's because I smashed the gas. I'm 100% in control of everything that's in that. And that is the most therapeutic place that you can be is when you're completely in control of a situation. And that's what gives me that therapy piece. And... I, it's a it's a piece that I never fully understood until I had a better understanding of my son and what goes on in his head, and I learned that through him and through his autism. Wow, that is, I'm, I'm so glad you've said that because I think that is like just gold. Uh, Gary said that there are gold nuggets in in episodes that I do, and I think that what you've just that what you've just said there is a gold nugget because I think it absolutely highlights um, as, as dads, as caregivers, and also as mums um, is how we, what we need in our world to allow us to operate in a world, which there is so many other variables that we cannot, we, we, we we can't control certain things, but when we like like for you, when you're driving that car, <clears throat> excuse me, when you're driving that car, is that you have ultimate control. It's one of the few times in your day, in your week, in your uh, period of your life that you have control, and that is like because when we when, often when I go home is like it's I'm I don't I don't have that. I'm trying to kind of, you know, I'm, I'm doing everything for the kids and for my wife and she's doing things for me. And so it, everything's directed outwards, right? Mm-hmm. Everything is going out. Very little is going in. So we need to have that point in our as times in our lives as dads 
to do this because it's healthy. This is what we need to do. And it creates stability within us, within our family, within our worlds, within our workplaces. That's what it does. And we, and we, we must not feel guilty doing this. Mm. That is a, that's, um, something that I've, I wrestle with because it's like when I go out as like I, I used to feel really guilty going out, even when the kids were asleep. I mean, I'm going to go out for a drive. I'm going to go out for a, you know, go to the movies. I used to feel really guilty. I don't feel as guilty now anymore because I'm like this, my, my wife never makes, makes me feel guilty doing this. Is it? And she goes out and she does her thing. She goes to events that she talks about inclusion and, and uh, human rights and, and these things, which are massive, massive things. I just go watch movies. <laughs> um, um, but it is so important to us. It's so important. And I cannot, like, sometimes words just don't even um, describe how important they are. So what a great, great words that you, you've shared with us there. Thanks. Thanks, Mike, for that. No, no problem. We all have a rock. I think I, I, think I know your answer to this, to this next question. We all have a rock in our world. Right. Um, and sometimes we have multiple rocks. Um, who, who's, who's, who are the rocks or who is the rock in your world as journey as a special needs dad? Uh, so I've got a couple. Um, the first, the first one that I'm going to put, and again, you know, we talked about this a little bit is faith. You know, I, mm. I've got a tremendous faith in God and that, that is an area that steers me, uh, in just about every facet that I can go in on my life. Uh, the next one is my wife. She's my hero. Uh, she showed me what it means to accept less by choosing me. And uh, just, I mean, she, she means everything to me in this journey that, it, you know, I call life. And she's my rock. She's the one that I can lean on when, you know, I have a bad day and she's the one that I can celebrate when I have a good day with. And she has the ability to just tune me out when it's something that she doesn't want to hear. And then come back with that little tidbit that I love so much going, uh-huh. And it's great, you know, and she's just, she is everything there. So that, that's, that's my two areas um, that, you know, I can say that's, that, that's my rock. That's where I can always go to find solitude in areas that, you know, I just need that comfort. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Two, two big rocks. And maybe the third rock is the car. <laughs> uh, well, it, it, it is shaped after, uh, to look like an IROC. So I guess that works. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, if you, if you could have someone do a movie, make a movie about your journey, as dad, as a special needs dad in this, um, what would the theme song be? Oh man. Honestly, man, that's hard. Um, not the Bee Gees, staying, staying Alive, is it? 
staying alive, but it, it does have that word in it. Um, right. Honestly, I would go with um, one of two songs actually by Pearl Jam. Wow. Either okay. black, either yeah. black, black or alive. Black. Right. Talk, Black talks about it's you know it's it's a love song right there of coming to grips with what it's like to not have what you had initially pictured but being completely content with what you have. Oh, um, and okay. then the the other one would be Alive from Pearl Jam, which is actually written. Uh, it was written as a Eddie Vedder wrote it basically as an F you to his dad saying that, you know, in spite of him being this bad father, he's still alive. But he, he says, you know, his fan base has completely changed it to, uh, because, you know, the, the main chorus goes, I'm still alive. Yeah. Mm. And for me, it's, you know, I've, I've got diabetes, type one diabetes. I've got, um, you know, heart dis coronary artery disease, you know, I've got all this stuff going on. I've got a kid with special needs. I've got, you know, there's all these things that are stacked on, but I'm alive and I'm thriving. And I, you know, there isn't a whole lot that I would change there hmm. because there's still a thrive that's going on with it. So either one of those two songs kind of really hits it for me. This is, this is black. Yes. I know this song. Yeah. I grew up with this song. Mm. We know that one. We just put the alive on because um, I, I always just like to um, share a little bit of the track because sometimes name people don't know the names of them, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so we just put alive because I, I, I do know um, this one as well. Here we go. This is, we know the beginning of this one. Oh, yeah. It has a great song. You must. What a, what a fantastic song. Okay, well, I'm going to put two of those songs onto the Dad's Playlist. I have a Dad's Playlist, and the links will be in the show notes. Um, and, wow, awesome. Okay, four words that describe your journey as a special needs dad. Um, so it's, it's kind of a cop-out. It's been said probably half a dozen times in this, uh, this podcast right now. Uh, life is a journey. That's, mm -hmm. that's literally it right there. Um, the tidbit on that is, is that this life isn't, in my opinion, our life isn't a journey to a destination, but it's a journey to a transformation. That transformation wow. is either an understanding or helping people understand what it really is that we're going through. Well, hang on. Can, we, can you just it, say that again? Because I just got, I got like tingles when you said that. So can we just say that again? Because I think... No one's going to skip back 15 seconds to hear that. Can you say it again? Yeah. Uh, so life is a journey, not necessarily to a destination, but to a transformation. Wow. Wow. I got, and even you saying it two times, I got tingles. I just like, it's, it's something about that really connects with me. And I, and it's, and I think it's one of those things that's going to like take me a while to fully get that there are phrases sometimes that just they're so powerful that you can't i can't even like absorb it 
and that's going to be one of those ones that I'm going to I'm going to sit on for a while. One 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 that I heard, um, which I think I've said on here before, which is, um, I'm probably going to screw it up because I haven't said it in a while. Um, ignorance is bliss, and once you've tasted bliss, the rest is ignorance. Um, and I remember hearing that, and I thought that is a great line. I want to, and I understood it, but I didn't understand the depth of it. Ignorance mm. is bliss. Once you've once you've tasted bliss, the rest is ignorance. And I was like, that is just uh, great. And and but I think your your one just blows that out of the water. Um, and I and I love it. Thank you for for sharing that. That's that's another nugget, a gold nugget, as Gary would call it. Um, okay. What what advice could you pass on to any dad who is listening to this or any mum who is listening to this? Because my listenership is um sixty percent mums a woman. Uh, I can't assume they're all they're all mums, but um uh, fe- of the fe- uh, females are listening to this. Um what advice is there any advice that you can offer out there to anyone? Um so the thing that I say to everybody is that there's a lot of books that are out that are going to explain a, a condition and things like that. But nobody understands and knows as much about what's going on with your kid as you. You are the ultimate author. You are the ultimate advocate. You are the ultimate uh peace and fighter for what's going on and what you know is best. Um, So if there's ever something that is steering you or trying to steer you in a direction that you would know is wrong because they read in a book that this is something that's going to be better, you don't have to go and do it because nobody knows what's going on like you do. Wow. That is great advice. That's, that's fantastic. Love it. Absolutely fantastic. Mike, I appreciate your your time and your energy into this. And it is another just you know, amazing chat with another amazing dad. You are fantastic. Um, a ton of respect to you, my man. And um, just to you as well, man. Wow. I, I, I say I, I this, you know, the dad is everything in this podcast. Like I'm purely just sitting here asking a couple of questions. It is, you know, yourself sharing it and being able to, and feeling that you can share, you know, what, you know, the journey that you have and you've shared it so well. Um, and you've given me the tingles, the fuzzies, whatever we want to call it. Um, uh, a couple of times in this and especially the last time with, um, with about your the quote about our journey um love it love it so much um so thank you very much for sharing mike and i will i'm gonna this is i'm so excited to get it out there and share it with uh with the listeners and um yeah so awesome thanks man it's been great no problem Thank, thanks for uh, thanks for inviting me to do this, and thanks for doing this. This is uh, it's a lot of fun.
have it, another dad talking about life as dad to their child, which has special needs, extra needs, disabilities. How good was that? Well, there are more dads out there like that, and we need to hear them, and they need to feel like they are not alone in this. This is why I do this podcast. So if you know a dad, please share it with that dad or with the mum. As long as it gets into the hands of them, that's where it needs to be. All right. Thanks again for listening. I also am looking for dads to be on the podcast like this one. So if you are a dad or if you know someone, yeah, maybe they might want to share their journey as well. So please get in touch by either the Facebook pages, on Instagram, or on email. The email address is lifewithjamieandmore at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Take care. Be good to yourself. Look after yourself. Be kind. And we'll hear from you soon.